Welcome to another episode of Hobby Night in Canada. I'm your host Tom, and with me as always are... Steve Groot, also known as Ward, Mike, and Dan. So the astute listener is going to notice that we have a new person on the podcast today. Yay for me! <laughs> so Mike's uh, been part of our club for a long time, is a good friend of ours, and a very avid hobbyist and gamer. And occasionally he buys us dinner, which is always a bonus. What? That's why you like me, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sorry. yeah, if it takes more than 30 seconds talking to the guy to break, break up the bill, Mike's just like, Visa. <laughs> Shit, I'm going to the wrong dinner. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so, Mike, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, I've been uh, gaming for a very long time. Um, I started with uh, war games and stuff like uh, Car Wars and Ogre and GV in uh, two, what, 82. And then the big thing that came was uh, Adeptus Titanicus in 87. Classic. And that was the end. I was into miniature war games ever since then. Space Marine. If it came out and it had miniatures in it, I was buying it. I, I couldn't get enough. Was that the set that they came in the, the two colors, the red and the blue? Yes, or? absolutely. It came in red and blue. And they had little dials on the bottom. And it was... Pretty shitty molds. So it's hero clicks. Yes, pretty much. It actually, you know, <laughs> very close because the the dial on the bottom was the thing that indicated your sh void shields for the things. That is oddly hero clicks like. Yeah, yeah. It's I was just kidding. No, but no, it, okay. it really was a dial on the bottom. <laughs> no kidding. And uh, let's see what after that I started getting into 40k. A uh, lot of 40k armies. Uh, I don't have Sisters of Battle. Um, it is it is faster to start with the armies that Mike doesn't have. Yes, yes, yeah. and that was it. I got here we go. I don't have Sisters of Battle. I have everything else. Um, my favorites tend to be Marines, uh, Eldar, and Tau. Now Tau is the one I like the most, actually. Um, other than that, I started to get in a little bit into fantasy until recent price hikes, and that kind of stalled that out a bit. But I've got a Skaven army, and I was thinking of starting a Dark Eldar, Dark Elf army. Sorry. Uh, other than that, I play a lot of Spartan games, um, Dystopian Wars, uh, Firestorm Armada. Those are both great systems, a lot of fun playing them. Um, i got to say Dystopian Wars is my favorite for, for the flavor. Uh, other than that, I'm also getting into some Malifaux and uh, Hawk games for Drop Zone. Uh, those Good are the big, got that in there. Those yeah. are the games that are, that, are, that are occupying my time at the moment. Cool. So much like we did, what was the most memorable tournament experience for you? 2002, the Calgary GT, where I won best presentation, and I was hooked after that. Good man. <laughs> Good answer, indeed. So I think if you come on this podcast in future, anybody out there, your first tournament experience has to be the Calgary GT. Like, it's just a rule now. Yeah, lie if you have to. That's <laughs> the only acceptable answer. Yeah. I'm going to punch anybody that says anything else. Dude, that, Canadians, that's not much we don't threat. punch people. Lightly. Except on hockey. You no, know, you're allowed to write rings. them a letter uh, <laughs> complaining about their lack of understanding involving that GT. A, a boot? A boot. A boot the GT. <laughs> All right. Uh, awesome. And Mike, what would you say is either your favorite game or army these days? Favorite game, Dystopian Wars, hand down. But Drop Zone is mm, right there. But go you've got to understand this. There's not a lot of people out there to play with right now, so I don't get in half as many games as I'd like. And everybody's playing Dystopian Wars at the club right now. So, that's it's, true. It's we, a snap to get into Dystopian Wars. We're running that league right now, which has been a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, we got a, an Escalation League going just to kind of help guys get into the game, mm -hmm. which I strongly recommend. If you find any of these periphery games that you're looking into getting into, try something where you can get people playing small, cheap. point sizes. Cheap. Uh, they're really cheap. And what we did <laughs> is we paired the guys who hadn't played much with the guy, or at all, with the guys that had played a lot for the so first So they get to crush? Well, the trick is, the first two meetings didn't Don't actually count for league points. So it's all about nurturing the how the game works in these people, the hobby, these kinds of things, that and getting adorable. everything going. Letting them suckle at your proverbial teat of knowledge. <laughs> or in the case of some of us, actual nerd teats. 
Thank God this is radio. <laughs> Good thing I know the game. I don't have to suckle. <laughs> I don't know. Your performance you definitely was pretty suck. lacking at the last oh. one, wasn't it? Oh. So, Mike. Moving into our next segment, what have you been working on this week? Uh, this week I have been working on a lot of my Super Dungeon Explorer stuff, uh, getting that painted up. Um, I've also been working on some Infinity models. I have the uh, I have the Alf starter. I also have um, oh I can't wait, remember. did you say Alf? Alf, oh, it's Alf. It's, am I saying it wrong? Isn't it like A L E F? Oh, so it's not our lovable Alf? alien from the eighties? No, 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 no. Oh. no. I never oh, met okay. a cat I didn't like. This 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 <laughs> army's awesome because they're all based on like uh, Greek and Greek, uh, Greek myth gods and stuff like so that. So there's yes. like Ajax and like cool, yeah, wicked, awesome things like that. Yeah, but yeah, I've got that going, and I got a couple of the Infinity bikes on. Them. I'm really excited to paint those up. Uh, I've also started getting my Aquin Prime ready. I'm getting the prime. It's time to break out the airbrush and put some colors on it. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, awesome. all event, all in all, an uneventful week for Mike. Yeah, it's actually been really slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Dan? Uh, well, I played in a tournament a while ago for X-wing, but uh, in a complete abnormal twist for me, I actually picked up a 40k tank a while ago and just started building. It was just the other night. I'm normally not a gu- the kind of guy who really enjoys working on the vehicles as much as like infantry or characters. But yeah, I just got the urge, picked up a Deimos Predator Executioner from Forge World that I've had sitting in a box for like at least a year. And yeah, just started building it last night, so it's just about ready to go. Now the hard part, deciding which of my three Heresy Era Legions to add it to. What's, oh, tough you. What's the vote? What's the, <laughs> what's the three that you're doing? Uh, Raven Guard. They're the big army that I've been adding to forever, and I've been adding some more Forge World stuff for them lately. And then the new armies I'm working on are World Eaters and Word Bearers. Which one has more than one model painted for it? A lot of them have two. <laughs> Which one has more than two? Uh, the Raven Guard are like the quite large army. The World Eaters and the Word Bearers both just have a couple of test figures. Oh. Which one has more? Because that's the one that you should put it for. I, Word I, Bearers by like a hair. <laughs> I, you know what? Honestly, if I get a vote on Dan's army, I would say Word Bearers. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah, yeah I think they're so. looking good. They you gotta do, do look it now. Good. I think the easy answer as well is just buy a second one later, so everybody gets one. But uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of my project right now. I just got a little bit of work left to do on the Predator, and then I'll pick a primer color and just go with it. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I haven't done a lot of hobby. I guess I did paint up the two battle cruisers, the new ones for the Rothosa from Firestorm Armada. And I gotta say, those models are getting nicer and nicer as they go. The details are much easier to pick out on the models because they're a lot clearer, the sculpts are nicer, the casting is better. They've just been upping their game. I think that race specifically too has uh, been getting a lot of attention from them. Yeah, no, totally. And they've kind of shifted the aesthetic to look better. <laughs> the I, old models were pretty mediocre. I don't, I don't know if it's better, but I think just clarifying which end was like forward was a big thing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it an engine or a gun port? I don't know. So it's uh, not just me, because when I used to look at those ships, I had no idea what I was looking at. I'm glad it's not just me. No, man, I'm painting them, and I have no idea which ones. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of guessed and put the the OSL at the what I think is the back, and officially from that moment forward, it is the back. Uh, other than that, I... Resounding <laughs> 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 endorsement it, for this model. You really should read a little bit of the history, because for mine, it tells me that all the crystals give off OSL. Oh, oh see, mine are just space spiders, so I'm kind of afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of makes me actually want to play them. Space spiders. Space yeah, they're space yeah. spiders. That's why I'm Ooh. painting them after that one. Your favorite spider, you were saying. Oh, yeah, the jumping spider. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So other than that, I played some Malifaux, and because I'll probably just get some rolling eyes from most guys at this table right now, I'll just say it was no. really... Oh, Mike. All right, so... Mike's not most guys. <laughs> That's one guy. Yeah, man. <laughs> all right, well, just for Mike, we played 35 Soul Stones. Yeah. It was Reckoning as the primary... And we both ended up choosing Plant Evidence and Assassinate for our schemes. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us got any points from Assassinate because it was Ophelia versus Seamus. Uh, and we just ran away from each other because yeah. it's two of the best gunners in the game. Absolutely. And we just planted scheme markers on our opponent's side of the deployment zone. So I went down the one side, he went the other, and we had a tie game. <laughs> Sounds exciting. exciting as hell. You have no idea how exciting it still was. <laughs> Malifaux is so much fun. Because I, you can't actually say anything until you've tried it, Steve. I, ha- I, I have tried it, but a very small game, and I, I, cards weird me out. Cards instead of dice is... I don't know how I feel about You'll it You'll still have to show me a game, I think. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. 
Other than that, uh, Mike and I played a game of Dystopian Wars. Oh, it was close. Super close. It was the kill all smalls, and we took a different strategy. I killed all of the smalls early, but you still have to kill 50% of the fleet. Absolutely. And didn't touch anything else. And he went for the 50% and didn't really touch the smalls. So at the end there, I'm just kind of hiding my smalls behind an island, and Mike's desperately trying to get over the island to kill them all, and I just barely squeaked out the victory. Uh, finishing off the one. What, what's the name of the attachment to the Tanaki? Uh, it was the Ashingari. Yeah, the, uh, the missile. The, or sorry, rockets. I should say. Yeah, but it was super close game. Lots of fun. It was in the league at our club. Yep. Oh yeah. So uh, that was great. And uh, then, so which one of you was suckling? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. was two weeks ago. That was suckling is over. Suckling period. And to be fair, we were actually both nursing. The other people it, were the ones that were suckling. Uh, this, this is getting awkward. I regret wait, asking that. Is this the weaning period then? <laughs> Actually, this was, because this week was the first week that counted for the league points. I'm so glad you agreed. Uh. <laughs> uh, other than that, what about you, Steve? Well, I, uh, I managed to actually get some painting in. Uh, I have two other knights to add to my force, and I actually I played a game with them when they were gray plastic, and they're now base-coated. So I did uh, the whole... Uh, bodies in silver, and then I did the carapace and like the um, uh, the knee pads and that kind of thing in a candy blue. Uh, Dan, I think, actually managed to post a picture without my knowledge, so some of you might have seen them. Yeah, um, you should go on <laughs> Facebook more, Steve. I should. All the cool kids are there. I, the other thing, too, is me and Mike. Mike's going to get in a lot of games this week, but we actually managed to play a game of Drop Zone, oh, yeah. uh, which is always a blast. It's probably my favorite game system right now, actually. Uh, Whoa. I Not know. 40k? Uh, game system. Universe, 40k takes it hands down. Models, 40k still way ahead. And But Drop Zone's rule set, I think just a smidgen is better. And it helps that you can still kind of play Eldar, right? Uh, yeah, because I'm totally <laughs> playing Shaltari. So me and Mike played, uh, the biggest game we played yet, we played an 1850 uh, game, so I brought out all my Shaltari except for, I think, one transport. Uh, and, and I think you missed a couple of Yari, too. You didn't have... Yourself. Yeah, I didn't have two Yari and a couple transports. Yep. Um, but we played, uh, yeah, a big game, and there was a lot of... Uh, what are they? The little tiny uh, spiders. Oh, the Prowlers. The yeah, Prowlers, you yes. Love them. You I was going to call them Stalkers. They knew they were not Stalkers. The Prowlers, uh, they they cause problems, especially when you're playing Shaltar and you don't have a lot of units, and there's tons of them to shoot at. But they didn't really kill anything, they don't, Steve. They don't no. kill anything. They cause you to, to waste time. And in that game where you have to get into buildings and extract objectives and get off the table, any time you're wasting is a big problem. So in future, I'm going to try and stay away from them and get into buildings faster. Yeah, I'm not going to let you do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually a really cool mechanic because one of the things you can't attack the turn you get dropped off. So they're super fast with their dropships, so they get to you quickly, and then you get a turn to deal with them. Like, it's very balanced. There's no, there's no, you get a chance to shoot at them. Yeah, you do. There's Absolutely. no alpha strike issues in that game. Nope, not at So, all. yeah. But it's hard to game. kill 16 in one turn. Yeah, that's one thing is every unit, a gun can only kill one model, so it doesn't have, like, an overkill effect if you have a multi-shot gun. So if there's 16 things, you need to have 16 basic kills. You can't just have, like, chain guns trying to kill everybody. So, so it's one guy with eight dice can still only kill, kill one Kill one stupid, what are they, eight point? Yeah, oh, eight yeah. points. Eight whole points. Eight points. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, it was a good game. Really good game. Mike managed to win. Uh, but That's which is because like, you were silly and you threw out your game-winning card. You threw out your I'm glad you got, I'm glad you remember yeah. that, because I wasn't going to let that one go. So, yeah. Steve, why don't you explain your epic maneuver? So, when you're playing Shaltara, you do not have a lot of infantry, and you have to be pretty creative. And in Drop Zone, you have a deck of cards that gives you some pretty serious game-altering strategies. And one of them was Underground Monorail, that allows you to connect to buildings. Within 12 inches. Within 12 inches. That and sounds handy. Yeah. Uh, so one of the plan, the plan that I had was to get my troops into uh, a building and then throw down the monorail and then bring them to the other building all in one fast turn. And this which, would actually stop me from extracting yes, one of the objectives. It would have it actually tied up the game. It would have yep. stopped, uh, stopped you getting off the table. 
and I discarded the card by accident in my turn and drew another three. And by then it was, accident? Oh yeah, just he only threw, threw away the card accidentally, and so then drew three more. If he hadn't <laughs> drawn three more, yeah. he could have just picked it up. And yeah, went to go is. play. Went to go play the ace up his sleeve. Totally snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Where the hell's that card? Where'd that card go? Yeah, and I, the <laughs> it thing was is, priceless. I'd also played a card that I had just picked up too. I played like a plus one AC yeah. modifier card. So I clearly had like it was there was no going back. I <laughs> totally shot myself in the foot. So I'd like a rematch at some point. And well, if anyone <laughs> anyone listening to this who has played against Steve will understand exactly what we're talking about. And if you haven't yet, you'll probably get to experience it if you come to any of the onslaught events or the out of the basement tournaments. If you get a chance to play against Steve, just wait for him to make one of these mistakes. It's gonna happen. <laughs> and if you can exploit him, this hurts. You'll win. <laughs> Yeah. If you don't take advantage of these one this one mistake that he's going to make every game, yeah, he is, he might be able to win. I usually I really need to actually work, that's one thing I need to work on is I usually have one moment that is clearly a flaw in my I'm, I'd like to say I'm a pretty decent player, but I usually make a mistake. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little forget. There's always one critical error, yeah. and if you can exploit it, you can beat Steve. And we're going to talk about that in another game later. With but yeah, that's it for me. How about you, Ward? Um, for me this week, I spent some money. I bought some new terrain. Yay! Cool. Yay! Hobbying. Ga- Gale Force 9. <laughs> it's already pre-painted. I'm done. The buy models phase counts. That's a phase. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the thinking about buying models, then the actually buying models. Mm, the and thinking then about the, models phase. And Ward's favorite. favorite Ward's favorite phase is the cleaning, cleaning models. models. Yes, yeah, there's is, something about it. You I know don't what? what it I, I freaking clean ba- bases, and people ask me, why the hell do you do that? And I'm just like, I need to make sure that the mold lines are off these bases. Why do you do that, Ward? <laughs> like, that is a good question. Because he needs to make sure the mold lines I are off the bases. Sure the they don't have. Oh, sorry. C-D. If he doesn't clean the bases, his family will die. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I don't want to put my parents through that. Um, <laughs> but oh as as, <laughs> as for actually hobby aspect, I I did work on my ottomans a little bit uh, this week. Uh, so hopefully I have tomorrow off and then this weekend should hopefully wrap up everything for the Ottomans completely. Wow. Uh, which will be amazing. And then they'll probably win. But Ho- just so you know, this not. is really amazing because I don't think Ward's actually finished a whole army since 19... No, it's, it'd be about 2006. 2006? 2006. The Black Marines with the purple trim? I, I don't think I can enough? disagree with any of you. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I, I'm good at cleaning models, like you said. So you're also really good at getting an army about 80 percent finished, and, and then, then re-priming. re-priming. I do, starting I, over. I do like cans of primer as well. I did buy some of those as well. So, which is why he finished the Praetorians <laughs> because they were primer black. Oh, that's true. oh you are an asshole. Um, other than uh, painting some Ottomans, I did also work on some terrain for Onslaught. Uh, doing some uh, new bastions and hopefully some defense lines right away. Uh, I did play uh, three games of Attack Wing last night. It's like I'm asking you guys if oh, I did or not. And you played Boss Monster. Oh, and I played Boss Monster. Uh, Attack Wing, before we get to Boss Monster, is I did some really good, fantastic last-minute maneuvers and died. <laughs> so, uh, so that I, sounds like how I play my Romulus. Yeah, I went I went 0-3, which is not typically the case for uh, me in Attack Wing right now. Uh, so I did a fantastic job last night with last-minute uh, turns, and I'm just like, oh, you know what? I should really fly into the middle of all of his ships and die instead of running away and beating him by victory points. That sounds like an excellent plan. Mm, yes, it worked Let's... out perfectly for me. Um, but then, like Steve was saying, we uh, I picked up a game when I was down in Calgary at Imaginary Wars called Boss Monster, and basically you are the master of a dungeon like Bowser, uh, and you yeah, it's the art system is actually like art system. The art is sixteen bit graphics, like it looks like an old is school video game. Is it sixteen or eight bit? I always call it sixteen. It's, it's, it's like it's Mega Man, like the original yeah. like Mega Man's, like so probably so Nintendo, eight. Super Nintendo kind well, of that, era. Well, that that oh, is sh- the difference between eight and sixteen. <laughs> I, I, I would say. I Which would one say, is it? I would say Super Nintendo. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's old school video game graphics. Old Let's go with that. <laughs> and I, basically, you're you're a boss. You're creating a dungeon, and you want to lure heroes into your dungeon and kill them and get points. So you need to have more candy in your van than the other. Guys. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa! And then no, the heroes come to the you. The idea is like you have you create a dungeon that has like treasure, and then somebody that's after treasure will come there. Whereas if they're after 
books, <laughs> they may go after the one with more uh, more knowledge or whatever, right? Like there's a bunch of different draws. You mean draws. Wi- wizards looking after spell books, yes. Is there, are those spell books? That was what they were? That's that's what I'm... We had a few wobbly pops that there, night, so I don't really know. It says it says mage, and they're looking after books, oh. so I would assume that's what they're going that for. Ma- yeah. I just assumed it was Twilight. Oh, don't even go there. I want to slap you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. The mic, the mic is in the way. So we played we played a couple of games of that. That was awesome. Awesome game. Good um, game. I'm going to show the rest of you guys that game, and uh, I know Mike will buy it because he just throws money at the hobby. Yeah, so. he buys all the games. Yeah, oh. He buys oh. everything. Oh. You, you sh- You're just you jealous because like, you can't keep up is it, what it is. Well, it's true. You basically show me pictures, and then I'm like, oh, I must spend money. But uh, I'm not a dealer. I must ha- hide the wall. Well, kind you're of. totally a crack dealer because every time there's a new game that you love, <laughs> you'll buy two factions and be like, hey man, what are you doing on Tuesday? Yeah, like that time you bought Sheltari and we're like, hey, you should try this army. It's pretty cool. I bought it and you can play it whenever you want. Oh, and I'll also sell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first oh. hit's free, oh, come but on. you gotta the pay for the subsequent totally one. Reasonable. Oh, yeah, it's it's the, the price is totally reasonable. Again, the, you, you gotta get them in cheap. And then you just jack it up. So now eventually I have to buy a whole, like, I'm still adding stuff to this. That's total crack dealer system, Mike. Mike, Mike is following the GW method of, like, <laughs> He's the, the only the one of us that hasn't worked there. Oh, yeah. I know, which is the weird thing. That's I know. Weird. So. But I'm better than all uh, of you. <laughs> better <laughs> than all of you. <laughs> okay, so. Um, I, I think that's about it. So, yeah, yeah played, played a couple games and uh, paint some uh, bastions. Awesome. Yeah. Wicked. Uh, I think the only real thing in news right now that it's got at least uh, three of the people at this table excited is the new dystopian war stuff that was announced. I want it right now. I, I gotta have it right now. We I'll gotta buy it right now. Yeah, we have to wait until March twenty eighth. March. May. May twenty eighth. Oh, if it was March, I'd be much happier. Yeah. More broke. Yeah. Twenty first. It was the twenty first, but they had a, they made an error on the website. It's actually the twenty eighth for both the new book oh, and face. the starter set. Yeah. So we're gonna have to wait an extra week, or just save up an extra week to buy both. So as you mentioned, the stuff that's coming out is the new rulebook. Yep. And a starter set. Absolutely. So the new rulebook, you were saying, there's also a collector's edition, which is, I think, people... I hadn't said yet, but there is. You were saying earlier before the podcast that there (laughs) is a collector's edition, and it's kind of excited to hear a little more about that. Yeah, so it is, what, 360 pages? 320. 320. It has one of those faux leather bindings. Yep. So it's probably like a nylon... Or a vinyl? Yeah, I might thing. say vinyl, probably. Oh, Ward. Fake fake leather. Fake leather. Yes. Faux leather. Faux leather, it is. That is what it is. But it's called faux. We can call it faux, because that's what it says. Yeah, I, I it is. Know. It looks like leather. I don't care what but it is. But it's great. And it's got... The coolest thing about it, and my favorite feature, is it's got the wonderful little red book, or like the bookmark, book the page marker Absolutely. for it. So if, if the crit... Honestly, I'm going to be using it for the critical effect table. I'm still a little miffed at that I didn't get a sheet for that. Yeah, so yes, yes, it is. That's where it's gonna go. (laughs) Yeah, which is fantastic. It's gonna have all the rules for the seven core factions Prussians, Mm -hmm. British, British, Blazing Sun, Sun, Federated States of America, the French, more importantly, Antarctica. Yes, yeah, it is in there. Absolutely, 100%. You'll want it. Don't worry. Um, we've probably Russians, yes, of course, Russians. No, they're not a core, yeah, they are, Yeah. yeah, they totally are. Because French weren't an original core, because the original four core was oh, Blazing okay, Sun, okay. Prussians. I'm not sure what the, the order is anymore, then. I know the, British I know it's the Japanese, the, the German, the British, the American. Well, either way, I think this is kind of a little bit off point. It has book many looks, armies. The book looks <laughs> amazing, and yes. it's only 30 pounds. Yeah, yeah, and the it's same, like 60 with shipping. Yeah, so 60 Canadian with shipping. It's going to be fantastic. And Mike, because you're a Blazing Sun player, tell us about what's in the box. Oh, it's exciting, people. We're talking three new cruisers, which is always fun. It's also got... So these are totally new, not yeah, sculpts. It's totally these are new, new classes. New classes yeah. entirely, right? Yeah. Uh, it's got a new, improved battleship, uh, which looks awesome. And uh, it's also got the Wani, new Wani ship. And there's two versions of this in the box. There is the normal one that you can paint up, and then there is the clear resin to give it the ghost effect. And oh, I so just is that a generator wait. thing that you're thinking? Like some sort I'm of cloaking field? I'm thinking it might be, but we don't have enough rules. Or is it actually a ghost ship? <laughs> no, actually, you know what? I, I can't tell you. It probably has its own special rules because if anybody knows anything about the black sub, when it goes under and it goes off and gives you different echoes, there's two clear templates that go off. But that's not a generator. It's just part of the sub. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, gotcha. a, it's a mar at that point. Right? Gotcha. So... We're not sure model if it's a mar. Ass- model assigned rules. Yes, they Pro tip, mar is model assigned rules. 
Yeah, but, we should probably not throw the acronyms as, as viciously for people that have no idea what Amar is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It is. If you don't, you should. Play Dystopian. Yes, yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. And it also comes with a uh, base for the uh, part of the uh, Blazing Sun. And it's just, oh, I'm really excited to get my hands on all of this stuff. I just can't wait. And did, cool. you, did you see the coolest, single coolest thing in that box? Is, outside of your models? They have movement trays. For tiny flyers. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what? gonna make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. So movement trays for tiny flyers. So it's a complete in the five, yeah, yeah. squadron shape. Yeah. Actually, so it's, it's in the six because now there are some races that actually can do the six squadron. But it's got a spot for a die awesome. on there as yeah. well, and they come with the little die like FSA has for the wings. That's so you can awesome. actually put your fuel on the movement template. Yes. How? S- yeah, they're gonna use. I think the that mic- is the micro so simply micro-dice. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They should have had that. Yeah, and that's why they did it. Ago. Yeah. yeah, and chances are they're going to release that as just a single like package that you of can course. buy probably like, two I, or three. I'm really hoping if that Otherwise, is a, if I'm that is like a like sets. a if they take like a page out of GW's book and make that a starter set only thing you can get like some of the terrain they've done in previous GW starter sets. I, I think the only thing that, that would be so dumb. I think the only thing that they do in the starter set that you can get is the like the terrain piece. So like uh, for Firestorm, I know it was like the space station. This one was probably going to be. It's going to be the Wani base. It's the It's going to be the Wani base. I'm pretty. Sure, you only be able to get that if you get the starter set. But hmm. once again, you yeah, really have fair. to worry about that if you're Empire of the Blazing Sun. In it's, which case, you're buying the starter set because it yes, has because everything it's got you need. All the new models in it, you got to have it anyways. Awesome, fantastic. Cool. Anything else cool and exciting? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just mention very quietly that there's guard, but we're gonna deal with that in another podcast. Yeah, because we're gonna wait until the book comes out. Yes, be, they released the one book. Yes, but Which we're, not, is the we're reserving judgment on that. Scions? They released the appendix no. to the main book the, before the main book. The, the Scions is just the Stormtroopers, correct? Yeah. Well, they're the More new Stormtroopers. So they released Mila, uh, Militarum Tempestus, and the next one will be Astra Militarum, because evidently you can trademark those where you can't trademark Imperial Guard is kind of the current... That is a historical term that has been used for millennia. Mm-hmm. Yes, so... Uh, yeah, we're gonna leave uh, both those books till we get a chance to actually take a look at them, play some games with some guard armies, get our dirty hands on them, dirty hands on. So let's move into Ward's favorite segment, which is Hobby Break. Hobby Break. So this week in <laughs> Hobby Break, we're gonna talk about some LED kits that Mike's actually been using on one of his new nights. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, they're made by uh, Powered Gaming. Uh, it's a uh, it's a new LED set, and this set comes with everything that you need. It comes with the board comes with the LEDs that you need, and it comes with a plug that you can attach a 9-volt battery onto it. Um, the base set that you can buy that has basically everything you really need is gives you those things I said, plus white lights, blue, uh, yellow, red, and uh, green? green. Yeah, they give green. It gives, gives all the sets of colors, and you can have these all going at the same time if you want in the model. Um, it makes life so much easier. You don't have to worry about soldering or yep. wires crossing over or any kind of shorts. It's already done for you. LEDs being backwards polarity, that's fun because yeah. they only run one way. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? The first time I worked, did that on my, um, what was it? Uh, the Monolith? Necron Monolith. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You know how many times I had to crack that things open because I crossed something, something wrong. wrong and crossed? Yeah. It still got brake lines in the one side where I keep having to bust it open. But yeah. this solved all the problems. It's, it's all done. It's all plug and play. Nice, neat package. So what does a set like that cost? Uh, I think it was going for about 30 bucks plus about 5 or $6 for shipping. Uh, I got it from the States. Uh, nowhere in Canada at the moment does it seem to be selling. Uh but yeah, it took about a week and a half to get here, and there's no problems. Uh, Tom, is there something you... Yeah, well, I was just kind of wondering, um, f- as someone that has never wired anything in my life, how hard do you think it would be for me to actually use it? I would say out of uh, a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, this is an intermediate, because you do still have to be able to drill out the model and put the lights into the place that you want. Um yeah, but that being said, there is no wiring with this. Like, yes. you're right. Yeah. There's you don't need hobby. a soldering iron. Yeah, it's literally the wires. They're high-quality wires. They're very flexible. They have a silicone uh, sheath on them, so they're they're not going to have... That's what it's called. sheath. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so they're actually quite flexible if you do need to bend them in a certain way. Uh, but yeah, there's no wiring. You just have to drill the holes that are actually going to fit your so, LEDs. Yeah, absolutely. Intermediate would be for the actual hobby aspect of it, not the actual wiring. Yes. 
No, All uh, right. <laughs> and I mean, like, if, if you glued models together before, it's not going to be rocket science. It's just basically just finding a spot to make sure that you've got the LED LEDs, the battery can fit in, that yeah. sort of thing, right? So, so what kind of kits are you going to be able to use this on? Oh, well, you could use it for anything. I think it would be uh, really, you could use it on rhinos. You just have to find out where you're going to store the battery afterwards. That's not a problem. You can put it on Land Raiders. Anything that's got a little bit of size that you can fit a, a 9-volt battery in is going to be able to work with this because the lights Wicked. are small. The wiring's actually a good enough length that you can work on things. Uh, you can put it into Storm Raven. Uh, for landing yeah. lights? Yeah, landing lights, wing so lights, cool. yeah. cockpit lights. Inside the engines. You... You also said that you can do it as like the the right left port and starboard like lights, right? Yeah, so. you can. And yeah. there's even little boards and circuits that you can get with get flashing, flickering, pulsing for engines or guns, and you can have all these light effects, and they will all work with this board. Yeah, they had they had this stuff being demoed at uh, they had a fender booth at the Las Vegas Open, uh, and they had a Storm Raven wired up where they actually had the the cockpit uh, lit up green. Uh, they also had a rhino where they had like the headlights on the rhino yep. actually drilled out and they had just yellow lights there. They, the, one of the things that I thought was actually really cool that you could do is with the flickering light, they actually sell a short 9 volt battery so it's not like the full, uh, full big battery. Yeah, it's so a smaller, you, skinnier. If you want to hide it on, uh, like a, like a monstrous creature base, you could do that and do some sort of cool like flickering light effect. When you're talking about the flickering light, do you mean the, like the throbbing effect? The throbbing effect, yes. It's a pulsating effect. Excellent, thank you. No, no, but isn't there one that's an off-pulsing, flickering? There are. They have a bunch of different uh, circuit boards you can buy for, uh, like, different different light effects. You've got, yeah, we. I think they have three right now. They have the solid, the flicker, there's a pulse, and then there is the strobe sort of effect yes, kind yes. of thing, right? Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's just say on a scale of one to five pucks, because that's how we do things up in Canada. Yep, yep. How, let's just maybe rate it on ease of use, quality, and... Do you want three ratings? Cost. Is that what you're Cost. Asking? Sure. Okay, for cost, it's probably going to be about uh, three pucks. Okay, because if you want all the stuff we just said, you're probably going to be tossing 50 to 60 bucks out. You can okay. definitely do it cheaper at a hardware store. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but, sure. I, but obviously, you're going to have to know your electronics. and You're, you're not going to get a circuit board. Yeah. You're going to have to wire it together and solder it yourself. Yeah. Which okay, so that's cost. What <laughs> yes. about ease of use? Ease of use, I would say, uh, let's go four, because you just have to know how to drill a hole in your model and put it where you want to. And, uh, yeah, if you can figure that out, the lights are relatively okay to install. Awesome. And so the quality of the product? I would say it is uh, a four pucks. It, there's, I haven't found anything wrong with it, but uh, once again, you're gonna have to be careful because it can be fragile. You can break the wires off. The the, the wires can snap off the the LEDs. So I mean, you can't toss it around and be right. But gross it's a multi-part it. plastic kit. If you're throwing it at the wall, yes. unless you're playing drop zone, you probably can't. Get or away you with took it. it to the airport and that happened. It's either way. Yeah, yeah. The right. the circuit board is exposed, so it's definitely not a waterproof kit. <laughs> that's for sure. Because I uh, dunk all my rhinos in water? No, I'm thinking more for when you spill a beer on your model. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do not spill a beer. That <laughs> happens. That happens occasionally to me. That is massive faux pas. Uh, all right. Yeah. Oh, so it sounds like it's a pretty great kit. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's well worth it. And, I mean, if you really want to go to town on a model, this is the way to do it. I mean, you can really make it and bring out everything. Because it makes everything look great. So on your kit, for an example, uh, what lights did you use and where did you use them? Okay, for me, uh, I have a, uh, the, the head has got the two blue lights in there. This where is the Imperial eyes Knight, are, right? Oh, yes, the, sorry, it's the Imperial Knight. I've got the two blue LEDs in the head, and they're shining out through the, uh, the visor on the head, and they're coming out through the eyes. Uh, I have the red LEDs through the Melta arm, and they're shining through all the holes that I've drilled in the Melta, to, so it all kind of shines through. It uh, has a tip when you, after you've installed this, by the way, Paint all the surfaces that you can't see behind the painted ones silver, and this will reflect the lights, mm -hmm. and it gives it a brighter effect. And that is a pro tip from Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> so I think that's a hobby break. Yeah, that yeah, covers oh, that kit. Quick note, we'll throw up a couple of pictures on the Facebook page so people know just what the hell we're talking about, because it's a really good-looking uh, result. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll get them to you right away You've there. got the night, what about... 60% done, you'd say? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. all the holes are drilled, it's just 
putting the paint on it right now. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. We'll definitely get you guys. Sounds good. uh, Pictures that. So let's move on to our game of the week. Steve, that was you and me again. Yeah, it seems to be us all the time playing 40k lately. Uh, so we decided to try out the knights again, but tried them as a full army, uh, as the primary detachment, I should say. Yeah, the biggest thing is that we did try the one knight, which seemed pretty balanced. We're really curious as to whether or not it really aggressively what scaled up start with more knights them. in every army. Mm-hmm. So we ended up playing a game. I was using a Dark Eldar list. Steve was using the knights, and we did... 1750. 1750. Big guns never tire. So just as a quick background, we usually play uh, around here uh, the Barry Open scenario. So we do... uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's what we do. I thought you said Barry. Barry Open I heard Barry Open. Bay Bay Area Open scenario. So the idea being that you have... You basically play two book missions at the same time. I'm I'm pretty sure Barry writes some good scenarios too. (laughs) Barry Barry sounds like a solid dude. He, just, I could be, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, anyways, so Barry scenarios are really good. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we played uh, Big Guns Never Tire as the primary, so we had four objectives, and then we played Kill Points as a secondary. And we're going to talk about the armies, but as Tom is playing Dark Eldar, Kill Points not the friendliest. Let's talk about your list. Okay, so this was my second time playing Dark Eldar, and. Steve kind of gave me a basic idea for a list, and then I modified it, because I see, even with the way 6th edition plays, where a lot of people like these last-minute objective-grabbing units, Mm -hmm. I still like having at least one big kind of blob squad, where it can take more than five bolter shots to rid me of having (laughs) all the entire entire scoring unit. So it was based around a Archon with the full regular kit up, Shadow Field, Husk Blade, all that nonsense. And what was the name of that special character again? Duke Sliskus. So that's the sort of the linchpin of the entire army. Not really. It's the linchpin of the 20-man warrior squad. Remember, it also boosts your witches. That's true as well. So it is a pretty good buff. There's no real like buff commander for the Dark Eldar like you have Farseers or Tau commanders. That'd be the closest thing to a buff right. commander. So those are my two characters. My troops are made up of two units of five Calibite warriors in Venoms, and they've each got blasters. I've got two units of nine witches in raiders, and they have a, a hydra gauntlet e- in each. Yep. There's a unit of 20 warriors. as well. Oh, yeah, key. totally haywire. <laughs> the witches have haywire. If you take witches without haywire, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and a unit of 20 warriors with two splinter-ripe cannons. Yep. And that was where the, the character was in, to kind of give them the three-plus poison. Yeah, Sliskus actually has to start with a Cabalite warrior unit, uh, and starting him with the 20-man blob is a lot better. You get a lot more use out of that 3-plus poison that he grants the unit versus starting him with, like, a 5-man Venom say. squad. <laughs> so it's yeah. actually a good place to put him, for sure. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. And on top of that, there was a unit of six Reaver Jet Bikes, which had two of the Heat Lances yep. and two of the, what are they called again? Cluster Caltrops. Cluster Caltrops, which gives them the D6. Strength what, 6. Strength 6 when they ride over instead of the D3 Strength 4. Yeah. And to round it out, there was two of the Razorwing jet, razor jet Fighters, which had two of the Shatterfield missiles each, and then two of the basic ones. Yep. Yep. So, so just give me a little bit of that extra strength attacks. Yep. So pretty balanced Dark Eldar list. Very close to what I play. I don't play the 20-man blob with Sliskus, but that almost is exactly the list that I normally take. Oh, was there an Aegis in that as well? There oh, was yes, an Aegis absolutely. with comms relay to get guarantee you're going to get your planes in both at the same so time. So it does two great things. It's, as you said, it brings the planes in, and it also does a lot of good stuff for the Blob Squad to have something to hide behind, especially at tournaments that don't always have lots of scenery. Yeah, and there are a lot of units that are going to ignore cover. Uh, like, I mean, a Wave Serpent with their shots ignore cover. But that being said, if you actually, like even a unit of uh, missile sides from the Tau, if they want to shoot at that unit, they're going to be hard-pressed to kill all 20 in one go, right? even ignoring cover. So it does waste a ton of points, because that Blob Squad unit is only like, two, it's 200 points on the nose, actually. Yep. So it's, if you are shooting at them, you're wasting points with something that can kill that much. Sure, so that's my list. Your list is way more straightforward. It's three knights and... Uh, yeah, so three knights leaves you with a whopping 630 points left to spend, and I took, in that 630 points, I think seven models. I took Dante, Sanguinary Guard, and a Sanguinary Priest. <laughs> Wicked. You're a big spender there. Yeah, so I took sort of... Uh, I wouldn't call it a Death Star, because they do die pretty quick, but I wanted to try... Uh, a very elite army, the idea being that you could take it to a tournament and put it in one bag kind of thing. Sure. 
So, just to give the, the quick rundown, the way the game ended up working out is that despite my terrible rolling, the Dark Eldar were able to take out all the knights, and then what I had left was enough scoring to claim a couple objectives and deny the uh, the Blood Angels that were left from actually getting over and claiming and contesting mine or claiming exactly. Them. So, what I found is the the extra movement of the Dark Eldar is what really saved that game for me. On top oh, yeah. of all their shooting and the haywire grenades. And the ability just to have more scoring on the table, more survivable scoring than the knights. Well, it's kind of funny that you say survivable scoring when you're talking about a six hull point super heavy walker. But you're right. You're actually right. The the knights do not have the numbers, and when you lose one, you're in trouble. And I made a pretty stupid move. We were talking about how I always managed to make one mistake a game. I made that in the first turn and managed to get a, unit, a knight charged by a unit of nine untouched witches, uh, which was... Actually worked out okay because you did nothing. Yeah, this is what I say. You have to take advantage of Steve's mistakes when you get nine haywire attacks and cause what two hull points or one? I think it was one, and then yeah, I stomped them to death. Uh, and because of that, like that was the only reason that the game went to turn six or turn five. We played to turn five. Turn five, yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason that we actually had a game is because of your terrible dice. <laughs> But, yeah, no, you're entirely right. You had, I think, what, three scoring units left at the end of the game? Uh, I mean, what, it was one five-man unit of Cabalites. You had a few left in the 20-man, not many. I, I think I still had about eight. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good, decent chunk of them left. Which is why you start with 20. Exactly. That's, uh, it's hard to kill. Tw- it doesn't matter what they are. If there's 20 of them, it's tough to remove them in one go. Uh, so there's something to be said for big units. Um... And a couple <laughs> witches. Yeah, so, you had a few witches left too. So I know I know the points were different. You had more knights in this this game than you did your previous game. Which do you find is going to be better for a knight killer though? Would you say it's going to be Necrons or Dark Eldar? Well, that's kind of funny because I think the the Dark Eldar are probably going to be a little bit better because they're more versatile at it. The Necrons, everything in their army for taking lots of Gauss can actually Gauss. Is that how yeah, we call? yeah, yeah, wicked. Uh, is <laughs> is able to deal with them at sh- with shooting, but the witch is being able to ignore the shields in close combat. Yeah, when you can roll above a three plus or a four plus, depending on what their weapon skill happens to be that game. Yeah, combat drugs. is huge. So knight players should watch out for dark eldar a little bit more than necrons. I think so. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, actually, sure. they should really look out for both. But dark eldar, if you take a balanced dark eldar army with a couple units of witches, a handful of dark lances around. It's a problem. You can really deal with knights. That'll be the because anything part. that's not those units can deal with anything that's got a toughness value without even batting an eye. So this is something we were talking about after the game is what the knights mean for 40k. And one of the things that we were kind of talking about is how this might actually have been an inadvertent fix that GW pushed out. Uh, because this might deal with Death Stars, with the Strength D weapons and the stomps and all that jazz... They can handle the Seer Councils, they can handle all those crazy buffed up, re-rollable involves, that kind of thing. And they should hopefully tone down that, but then you see armies like this. I'd say that Dark Elder list is probably one of the most balanced lists. It's not very spammy. It's uh, got tools to deal with everything. There's nothing in there that's ov- like overly offensive. And it, I think it would, nine times out of ten, probably beat... Uh, knight list with poor allies. And that's one of the things I do want to say. I think taking <laughs> seven Blood Angels is a bad choice for allies. <laughs> it's like 100 points of Blood Angel. That's a oh, bad, yeah. bad ratio. <laughs> Especially when the Sanguinary Guard have no invol. It's it's not a good idea. Uh, it's kind of cool and looks neat, but I would advise against it. Okay, Wicked. Um, Mike, what do you... You're a Dark Eldar player. I am, but I haven't played him in a long time, I'll be honest with you. But I, I really do like the way this sounds where you can move into, because you know what, that's what I have. I have two units of witches, I have a couple of units of Cabalite warriors, one trueborn, nothing excessive, and it, it works. Before, not if it works now, though, that would be nice. Awesome. So uh, for me, the punchline of that game, what really won it, was the ability for the Dark Elder to outmaneuver the knights. And this really segues nicely into our next topic, which is going to be Coach's Corner, well, we're going to talk about particular measurement etiquette when it comes to tournament play. Absolutely. So we all know that when you're playing with your toy soldiers, sometimes 
you need ways to speed up and clean up how you're moving them around the table. So yeah, definitely, definitely. One I'm actually the, one of the bad people that knocks models over all the time. Uh, <laughs> not intentionally, but usually it happens when it gets overcrowded and there's stuff in the way. I knock them all over. Maybe I put it right, but you know what? Is it really where it was before? Yeah, and generally most times that's going to be okay. Your opponent's not going to be that upset about it. But that's why I hate Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but I don't love you anymore. If you have, if you have a, if you're having a game where people are uh, are okay with you know general friendly play, that's totally kosher, and you're not going to have a problem. But in those tournament situations or more competitive games, you, you like you were saying, you need a way to clean up that system. Yeah, and I honestly think that pre measuring has been a huge boon for cleaning up tournament play when it comes to measuring and moving your models. One hundred percent, definitely. Yeah, pre-measuring is something that, when it first came out with uh, Warhammer Fantasy, I think was one of the first major systems to really implement a lot of pre-measuring. And as one of those players who was really good at eyeballing measurements, you know, beforehand, I was a little bit miffed that something I was good at was being taken out of the system. But mm -hmm. you know what? At the end of the day, being able to pre-measure, being able to measure, you know, the distance from your opponent to your, you know, your models before they start moving... It takes that one element out of the game. You know what's going on. You know what the distances are. You might know what a random charge length or something is long before it comes up. And I think that just takes that one element of uncertainty out of the game. Tom? Yeah, I think one of the, the real questions I have is what do you guys think are the times where you should be pre-measuring and where is it getting excessive? Like, what do you guys pre-measure when you're playing games? Usually, like, depending on the, the game system, if I'm playing War Machine, of course, like the caster, any sort of, like... Spells that I can pre-measure items like that um, are going to be like useful. Um, I I try not to bog down though with too much pre-measuring because that'll slow down the game. My opponent might not like enjoy that. Uh, it'll basically drag out the game, and I it could be a, like a clutch like couple like minutes that I need at the end of the game. Especially to, with a death clock. Yeah, right. So moving around and it's it doesn't end up being worth it. And uh, for me, I think it's more of uh, range, especially for your heavy weapons, and of course, that all-important assault, so you know which number you need to roll on your dice when you're attacking somebody, and you want to get in close and personal with axes and swords. Yeah, so pre-measuring for me, I use it I use it a lot. I do, I do a ton of it, but most of the time I'm not calling anything out, it's all for my own knowledge, but the one time I usually will with the opponent is in uh, an assault phase. I'll always pre-measure the assault distance before dice are rolled, uh, so that way when a number that's really close to what you're looking for, like you know, you're six and a half inches away, right? When you roll that six, there's gonna be an argument, whereas if you called it out, well, you're six and a half away, so you're gonna need to seven, when that six is rolled, you already know there's no argument. It's way easier on both sides, there's no, there's no confrontation. Yeah, it's easier to be rational about it when you don't actually have the random number generated yet, because you can just come up with the honest answer. When the dice have already been rolled, suddenly the difference between that six and a seven, if that's what you rolled, is huge. huge. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of even taking it like one step further, and if I know I'm going to be assaulting with a unit that turn, I will measure from my unit to my opponents before I move anything. And that way, we just work out the math, and it's like, this is my move, this is what the charge will be, and I'll know before I even start moving... Mm -hmm. Anything, whether or not I'm going to need to hit a 7 on the charge, or an 8, or a 3, or what, you know what I mean? Exactly, and that's one of the things that I like about actually the random charge distance and pre-measuring coupled together, is before when you were playing 40k, you had to usually know 2 or 3 turns of measurement. Like, uh, for example, we were talking about this before the podcast, if you have an assault squad like in, in 5th ed, uh, over 2 turns they'd have a 30 inch threat range, so if you were sitting five inches from the board edge, you were probably safe kind of thing. If they started 12 inches up, moved their 30, right, you were probably okay if you were just a little bit back. But now with the random charge range, you don't have to worry about those multiple turns of range record keeping, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think that all those uh, like geometry lessons that you have to <laughs> used to have to know back in fifth of like where, do you, does anybody remember the cleanse mission? Yep. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. And the corner to corner on the circle and having to do like Pythagorean theorem to figure out what that charge distance was on first turn. Wasn't it like 16 and a half yeah. inches, 17 inches or something? Yeah, so it was like you could actually hit that charge. If somebody was on each corner, you were like, well, it's less than 24, so my hormigons or whatever it was with yeah. bounding leap could hit that. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. You know 
that what that distance is initially between those two units, which I think is key. Yeah, so do any of you guys have any tips or tricks for how you move your own models in tournaments to kind of help clean up the movement phase? Uh, the one thing that I like to try to do is make sure that um, before, like, if I know a, a specific unit is moving from my opponent, is I try to clear the area in front of it. So, like, if there's any, like, random dice just, like, lying around or anything that I can get out of the way, that way we can basically get right to the movement right away after she rolls the dice. Um, I think that's a little bit more beneficial. Makes sense. And, uh, well, you know what? Um, for me, it's just moving the first front line up the amount you are and then moving the back line and then if you're using a horde army at all you can just cluster all the other men in that group into the middle of the center of the two lines that you've made front and back yeah that's and really that, great and, and that way you can keep it fast still but you're not really changing the size of the group or how yeah, far they moved that's a good point especially with those large units where they go from being six inches deep to three inches deep exactly. in one turn suddenly exactly. those guys yeah. in the back are yeah. a lot closer to assault and as an yeah. orc player it was one of those things I learned quickly that I had to be careful because it was so easy to mm -hmm. just have the guys in the back move nine inches. Yeah, because and you start and the unit's going to be six inches deep. By the end of the movement, it's only three. Yeah, and it, you know it's not uh, a malicious thing nine times out of ten. It's actually really easy to do because you want to be quick. You don't want to slow play your opponent. Yeah, you don't want to individually measure all thirty orcs. You know what I mean? Like it, it eats into your clock so quickly. Well, that's the reason why all those horde armies are always accused of slow playing is because they have like ninety models to move. Like it's a problem. So I think uh, that brings. I'm going to let Dan, what, what do you have to say about this? Well, there's something that uh, has been implemented for a lot of game systems that really does help take a lot of that, you know, guesswork and speed issues out. Uh, there's a lot of the games now where you can pick up from a number of different manufacturers online those acrylic tokens, acrylic measuring templates, and they really give you that shortcut so that you can pre-measure, like, yep. you know, some of those templates. They have, you know, one side's six inches, one side's two inches for unit coherency, one side's, you know, one inch for, like, War Machine with your... Uh, like some of those little in little out of sequence movements that you get to do, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, like Side step? The, the one inch, you have to basically make sure that you're past like out of one inch range for them, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Actually, I didn't want to keep talking, but I was going to talk about the tack template. And you were talking about the two inch side and the one inch side for yep. distance between enemy and your own models. Like that tack template. If you're playing 40k, get one because it's so hard to physically get a tape measure to measure like a half of an inch, one inch, two inches, because the tape measure itself a lot of the times is like four or five inches, and getting it physically in between models just isn't going to happen. But if you have one of those templates where it's just a piece of acrylic, an inch wide, two inches wide, it's so easy to tell, are you in range, are you not in range? It, it really does help speed things up. I think those are a great tool, and they're one of those things you can pick them up from a number of different online stores, eBay sellers, some of the independent shops are bringing them in. The one, the one that you're talking about, though, is from Gale Force 9, and I know Litco, I Litco. Litco and uh, Advanced Deployment. Yeah, Advanced There's Deployment a does a lot of stuff for War Machine and Malifaux, I found. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I know we were talking about this uh, earlier when you were saying that you had, you've seen people do the whole, you move, and I know I've actually done this, because you have a model that's awkwardly placed on terrain, and you pick one up, and you move it, but you move the, temp the tape measure with it because the tape measure isn't static on the ground. <laughs> yep. So you get the extra inch or two movement with that. So I mean, like yeah, the moving goalpost. Yeah, 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 exactly. What, what I like to try to do is like if I can make sure that I like put like the template or the the uh, range ruler down and then move the the model itself. Uh, I know Tom mentioned like he uses. Yeah, I try to plant my fingers down, or what I'll sometimes do as well is put my thumb down at the very end of the measuring tape move my hand with the tape away, and then put my, the model up to my thumb. Mm -hmm. Just have sort of a marker. Yeah. So, you, so it bumps up immediately against, so it, do, it can't go any further than my thumb, right? Yeah. And I mean, I mean uh, with that too, like those like tactical templates are a little bit more beneficial that way too, because again, they're going to be a little bit more slim, they're going to fit in those awkward spaces, and that's where they're going to really come and shine into their own. Yeah, they help you speed everything up, they help you play more accurately. And it's one of those things where it's good for everybody when the games are going faster and you know that your models are where they're supposed to be on the board. Yeah, you're going to have less issues with your with opponents. And, I mean, any game that, especially in a lot of tournaments that actually have a sportsmanship component, measuring is where 90% of your arguments are going to come from. Almost always. Like, no one's going to argue that... Uh, that Space Marines armor save should be a 5+. plus. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the part <laughs> that you're going to have fudging a distance by a little bit. Like... 
there's other ways to get angry in these games for sure. You don't have a grenade on that model. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, there's other ways to definitely piss off your opponent, but I think movement, if you can clean that up, you're going to always have a better experience in tournaments. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, and, I, and I find, like, a lot of, like, uh, right now the War Machine community, for sure, like, really utilizes those, like, uh, templates a little bit more than the other systems, but hopefully we'll start seeing them spill into, like, 40k fantasy. That absolutely. Sort of I think with War Machine, though, there is a little bit more precision measuring required, because you do have multiple melee ranges for different mm -hmm. models, and there are issues where if you are within some model's melee range and move out of it, or move through it, they get a free strike. Whereas in 40k, it's just all stay an inch away, and, and there is no free strike mechanics where just passing near them, you might get attacked. It's yeah. So you don't have as many issues, but there still is the coherency. Mm -hmm. Which is actually, I think, a huge deal, and, and uh, that's one of the things that's always difficult. Like you were saying, those small distances are the problem a lot of times. And especially with if you're playing an army that has a lot of pie plates, like a Thunderfire cannon list or whatever, like a lot of blast templates, yeah, you're you going to want to spread, spread out. out. <laughs> exactly. So I think that more or less covers everything when it comes to tournament measuring. If you have any questions at all, feel free to put a post on our Facebook page or send us an email at hobbynightincanada at gmail.com, all lowercase letters. And no, no carrier pigeons. We don't support that. No, that's not No, that's true. My dog will probably eat them. Yeah, Jake, Jake's a very vicious animal. Mm, yeah, yeah, it was a cat for Did sure. Did you see him in my face a second ago? It was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, other than that, I think all we really have left to cover is just an event update and talk about some of the stuff happening in our area. Yeah, uh, so some of the events that are going on in the Alberta area, because it's huge, and uh, we feel that we should cover everything. Geographically, uh, yes. Population-wise, no. <laughs> Uh, is that uh, at the posting of this podcast, uh, we should have the uh, Thunderground Comics uh, Store Championship for X-Wing going on. That should be on April 24th, which is a Thursday uh, evening. They're going to be playing some Attack Wing. I think it's three rounds that they're going to be doing. X-Wing, not Attack Wing. Oh, X-Wing. <laughs> there we go. So for more information, you can uh, check out the Edmonton X-Wing group uh, or check out our site. We're going to hopefully post some more information about that event going on. Absolutely. Uh, uh, then we have also on May 3rd and 4th is GrotzCon going on down in Red Deer. Yeah, and they have a 50-point steamroller, which is going to be a War Machine Weekend qualifier. Only one in Alberta. Which you can qualify for War Machine. Weekend. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which Don't is forget awesome. the weekend part. That's true, clutch. True story. Oh, I, I, oh, wow. My bad. So War Machine Weekend qualifier happening at GrotzCon. So it's a 50-point, two-list steamroller. Pretty standard fare. And they have a Who's the Boss event going on on the Sunday, I believe. It's Tony Danza. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Which is really cool. If you haven't done one before, it's basically you bring out a, a list that doesn't have a Warcaster. You assume you've got a six uh, Warjack points in that list. And I, I don't know for certain if it's 35 or 50 points. I think they had like a, also like a big like wheel that you just spun yeah. and you and get you a random get, caster. And it changes every round. Which is kind of cool. So I like the idea of that for sure. Um, and I think they've got a 40k event happening as well. 40k and fantasy, I believe. So you yes. can check out grotzcon.com for more information. Um, they also are going to be doing, I think they're pretty much sold out for their like main event as well. I think it's like 55 out of 64 spots. Yeah. Or 62 spots. 64. 64 spots. So yeah, if you're looking at signing up for some more machines. Do it now. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also have Mayday on the 3rd of May, uh, which is going to be more of um, historical gaming. Yeah, typically historical and board games, and that happens here in Edmonton. And there is also a 40k doubles event happening, where it's going to be 1,000 points per player. And you do have to have separate lists, and so that you're not going to be sharing any four-sword charts. You bring a 1,000-point list, as you would anything else, and you are unable to put any of your characters in your partner's units. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> That's probably so, for the best. Yeah, it, it circumvents a lot of the nonsense that would happen. It sounds like it should be a great event happening. For, uh, three rounds from what I understand. I believe so, yeah. So, I mean, for more information for that one, if you just Google, like, Edmonton Mayday, uh, I think it's .org, you should be able to find uh, information about that one going Absolutely, on. and I think we can probably throw up a link on Facebook just to help people out. I'll try. Maybe. We'll try and find something. <laughs> no guarantees. <laughs> I think the 40K event for that is pretty small, so we'll try and figure out something involving our sort of gaming world, but no guarantees. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, and then the weekend after, on the uh, May of 10th and 11th, 
Uh, my grabber. What is happening, War? What is happening is that I am running Onslaught. So if you're playing War Machine and you're not burnt out from the weekend prior, uh, I do have some spots left for War Machine, uh, and then plus the six other systems that I'm running. The big one right now is Warhammer 40k. If you're looking to sign up, the sooner the better. We are close to 50% out. Uh, sold out, and usually about the three-week mark, everybody starts signing up because they've decided that I have enough painted, or I can paint enough, and, uh... Or they've given up on their final exams anyways, so might as well (laughs) paint some Warhammer. The wife has let me have the weekend off. Yeah. All all of those, (laughs) all of those can contribute to, uh, people signing up really, really quickly. And then the last, uh, event information that we have is that Trevor, uh, who is doing a lot of leagues out of Mission Fun and Games in St. Albert, is hosting an 18-player tournament on May 17th. He's got some cool swag as prizes, Dan. In yeah. what game system? That would be X-Wing. There's, uh, all kinds of cool prizes as well. He picked up some really neat art prints. So there's a Millennium Falcon, there's Slave One, and a Y-Wing, I believe. And, um, depending on how many people sign up, there will be additional prizes as well. Um, so I believe that is 100 points, like relatively standard X-Wing fare. Should be a lot of fun at, uh, yeah, Mission Fun and Games, 12 o'clock on May 17th? May, May 17th, yes. That's, cool. what I, that's what I have written down, but I do wear <laughs> glasses for a reason. So <laughs> we, Good disclaimer. We, we will see. Yeah, we'll have all these links up on the Facebook page. So. Awesome. Sounds great. I believe that's an episode for us. So thanks again for listening to us here at Hobby Night in Canada. I'm your host, Tom, and... Signing off is... I'm Steve. I'm Ward. Mike. And Dan. Awesome. We will see you guys later.